Welcome to episode 109 of the Night Shift Football Podcast. Plenty to get through. As always, there was some Champions League, a Bundesliga update, PSG uh, moving away in league. Uh, some shit happened in Italy, of course, and our favourite English Premier League. English top division, we committed to calling it this season, and we haven't done it. We failed after about four rounds. Uh, Tom's here to join me once again. Hello. Hello. We could just go back to calling it the Barclays if you want. The Barclays. Uh, that'll work for me, actually. Cooper's here as well. How you going? Good, Sammy. How are you? Fucking great. Let's go. Let's do this. Let's jump straight into, uh, well, actually, firstly, we were, you know, off air just before we started recording. There's, I feel like there's some tension and we need to have a bit of a restorative meeting between between the two of you. Relationships at Night Shift are tense. Leeds played Liverpool in another Night Shift derby. We'll get to that later. But um, between Tom's egregious Twitter behaviour Hooper being on a high horse after his uh, fringe show, there's there's a bit going on. Do either of you want to want to open up about this on air? It feels like we're just moments away from like a Patrice Evra, Luis Suarez moment. Mm. Shock, yeah. shock horror. Not... Tom Tom brings it back to racism. Who would have thought? <laughs> oh, I was no. gonna I was I was gonna ask who who is the racist in this scenario? <laughs> Am I Evra? <laughs> Uh, we'll just move <laughs> straight on into the Champions League from last week, I think. I'm going to take you right back all the way, if I can, uh, to last Wednesday morning where Benfica hosted into Man City hosted Bayern Munich uh, in two two Champions League quarterfinals that looked like they could be all but done. Inter beat Benfica just quickly. I don't know if anyone saw this one, but uh, Barella, Romelu Lukaku scored in that one as well. Um, either of you catch any of this? Yeah, well, watched all 90 minutes of a Sammy and I was intrigued <laughs> from where to go. I'm sure you were. Well, you talk up a big eye for the Portuguese teams and uh, I don't know how well you managed to keep up that big eye for it, but I'm know, sure we it, all had eyes on City buying, didn't we? It's all gone backwards now for Benfica, yeah, unfortunately. Mm. I, had, I had eyes on it before the game when I made that comment in the chat about why into $2.70 to win this game. And yeah, we, 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 we left it because I think we all... We thought we've spoken way too much, too much shit about these Portuguese teams and bet against them one too many times and, and had it not work. Mm. Inter's league form super rocky as well, which I'll touch on later. But um, first thing I want to mention here with the Lukaku scoring the penalty this week, Inter have come out and said they don't want to extend his loan any longer. And so it's looking more and more likely that he will end up back at Chelsea uh, but he doesn't want to be there. I'm not sure Chelsea will want him. I'm not sure Chelsea can afford to have him. Uh, what's going to happen with Romelu Lukaku? He looks like a Lampard player, don't you think? Oh, he doesn't want to be there. And they've got what, too many other players. What do they do? What do you do? Just release him. Cooper's, Cooper's the man for this kind of thing. Do you just, do you just buy the contract out? Do, can he buy his own contract out? I imagine he'd be sold. Someone will, Someone out there will want him, whether... You know, it seems like he's pretty comfortable in Italy. So whether uh, someone like a Juventus who are looking looking for a little bit of something to come back off the disasters that have come upon them this season, take a punt on him. But it seems like, I mean, it's probably common knowledge, but it really seems like he's a bit of a problem child, doesn't it? Like he just cannot find a settled home in, in any scenario. Well, he's put he himself in huge ba- He gives huge Balotelli vibes all of a sudden. Oh no, he's probably way better than him and has yeah. a, like a great record for his country. But yeah, to not be able to find a club to settle yourself in, 
It does seem sh- like an issue. I'm not sure he's anything like Balotelli. I just think he's super picky. Um, and he's, but he's kind of built this situation for himself now where he's super picky about where he wants to play and kind of trying to choose which club he plays for, but also really wants the wage still. And there's only so many clubs that you're going to fit into if you're going to be super picky about whether you want to play for mm. them or not. And then clubs who can afford you. So it's, it's probably the bail situation. I would say there's many clubs that want him that can't afford him. Um, so he might have to lower the eyes a bit there, Romelu. But I was shocked to see today. I looked, he was only 29 still. I thought he was about 33, but just knows what I know. Oh, he'd do it. Why am I running a football pod? It's crazy. I ask myself that every day. He'd um he'd do a job at Dortmund, don't you think? Oh, I'll take yeah. him. Yeah, over Sebastian Ole. Definitely. Mm. Definitely. Um, there's no trouble in my FIFA save though with Dortmund because I signed Tammy Abraham and he's a jet. Um Man City beat Bayern 3-0, absolutely blew them away. This uh, I know Arsenal are in a title race with City right now, and I'm going to have a good old whinge about them later. But for now, uh, it was good to see Bayern get their doors blown off. Um, 3-0, Highland scored again. He assisted. Silver got on the score sheet. Rodri did too. Uh, and this looks... Uh, to Bayern, can Bayern re- recover from this? Nope. That simple? Um, yeah, that simple. Um, when we went through predictions, I made a comment that I thought City would do this quite easily, and I don't think necessarily the the play of the game was as easy as I thought it was going to be. Bayern still had a fair bit of the ball, and they still seemed to create a, a fair bunch of opportunities for themselves. Um, but to me, they're, they're really weak in their final third, Bayern, and it's probably the weakest we've seen them be in that final third for, for over a decade now. Um mm. Gnabry, a good player, you know, Koma Sane, good players. Masala's going to be a gun, but they don't really have that standout guy and, and those guys do good things at separate they, times and when it doesn't link up, where's where are the goals coming from? They don't have a nine is the, the direct issue. And I think that's why we've seen... Uh, I'm, I think a few people were surprised when they signed someone like um, Eric Chupamoting, but he turned out to be the perfect fit to just stand up front and knock goals in and be in the right spot to score when all those terrific wingers and midfielders do what they do. Uh, but right now they don't have that. So they've been playing, Nabry played up front in this game with uh, Kingsley Coman wide, Lira Sane wide. They've got Musiala, who I think prefers to play wide. He's playing through the middle at the moment. Sadio Mane, who is wide. Thomas Muller, who is uh, probably in a similar position to, he's probably the closest thing they've got to that nine at the moment. But, he, you know, he's getting on. He's just one of those players, though, if he's, He'll find the right spot and score goals, but if they're not going to be able to get it to him, he won't. Um, yeah, issues there, but they're not so, overcome. They're not overcoming three now, are they? No, definitely not. It sounds like you're confirming Lukaku to buy in now. That wouldn't surprise me either, though. Chipper Moting's been really good for them, and I think they'll mm. keep him. He's just out with a minor injury, I think, at the moment. Yeah. But um, so it doesn't really work when you play. You have to play Nabry up front. Um, it's interesting right. that you mentioned Mane in the wake of this, the bust-up between him and Sane, the mm. Royal Rumble. Um, well, we're still still not entirely sure what the disagreement was about. Maybe it maybe it does have to do with their last names being so similar. Arguing coming off the pitch apparently down the tunnel, and then reportedly in the room, Sadio Mane has had a full swing and he's uh made uh made Sane bleed. He's, uh, he's, he's since been suspended, I think, by Bayern. Who knows how long for? I'm not sure they can afford to at the moment with the race they've got on in the league, but um, we'll see how that one pans out, I guess. The other games, 
I don't know if there was any shocks here, but uh, Real Madrid beat Chelsea 2-0 and Milan beat Napoli 1-0. I think we'll start with the Milan game in Milan. It's the first time two Italian teams have played each other in uh, knockout stages of European football since 2008. I want to say eight, but I may have forgotten. Um, but you yeah. do it. You run the pod, Sammy. You say what you want. Yeah. Uh, Milan, two wins in a row against Napoli after we all predicted that they would get absolutely battered by them. But it seems like no Victor Osimhen and there's uh, no Napoli at the moment. Absolutely no party without the big man up front. Um, I like that you addressed, you set this up with there was no shocks in the sec- in this second lot of fixtures. And I was like, well, surely Milan being Napoli is a crazy out of this world result. Um, it, you so know, irrespective they beat of them four 0 last week. I was going to say irrespective of that because I think you can. Okay, you can almost write that result off to a T, just given how dominant Napoli have been in the league, and then the build up to this game as well. You could see, okay, maybe they want to take a backward step before going into the Champions League, but then they've not come out at all and addressed any of the searing problems that were in that game. Yeah, and just they've just been ground out by a really dogged, organized, you know, well structured Milan side, and it's it's the perfect first leg home result for them. Yeah, agreed. Um, I just wonder whether I I just wonder whether Milan needed a, another goal or two in this game. Um, potentially with the way I was gone, maybe even you know if they could have scored three themselves, giving up one wouldn't have been the worst thing in the world. Just found found a way to get themselves two goals to the good, um, especially with the talk that, you know, Victor Osman will be back for this game tonight and there's potential that it might be roles reversed and AC Milan will be without Olivier Giroud in this second leg. Um, and I just wonder with with the flip of the coin there and Divock Origi likely to come in for AC Milan, whether, you know, maybe one goal is not enough. Um, I was surprised to see... Spalletti go to Elmas instead of doing what he did in the league during the week and using either Politano or Raspadori as separate parts of this game. Um, mm. but, you know, I'm, I'm sure he's got his reasons for it. But, yeah, that was surprising to me. I didn't think that Elmas would be the choice. Raspadori is the striker and he was the he was the move over from Sassuolo last season. Um, him and Skamaka were the two. I talked about them both a bit on this pod. Skamaka ended up at West Ham. Raspadori ended up at Napoli and is not really getting the game time. Um, interesting choice. Yeah, I agree. I uh, kind of get Napolitano because he's a, a Napolitano. Politano. I've added a added a syllable there. Um, are, you a, are you a strawberry, is, vanilla, or chocolate kind of guy, Sam? Politano is very much. That's Neapolitan, you clown. Uh, <laughs> Politano is very much one of those kind of wide, like right back or right mid type players, rather than a striker. So. Um, Kind of makes sense, but with Osman, looks like he's going to be back for the game in the morning. We're recording Tuesday night game, Wednesday morning, four thirty a.m. Um, and Milan, if the team they put out on the weekend is anything to go by, they are going to have a big fight on their hands because that was atrocious. Um, Real Madrid beat Chelsea two 0 Thoughts? Oh, this is much more straightforward, isn't it? Yeah, a little uh, bit, I guess. Chelsea had once again. Chelsea kind of had their opportunities, but you know. Few and far between. They didn't really have a, like a stranglehold in the game at any point. I think. I think for the first twenty minutes of this game, Chelsea were much the better side and probably could have been one or two goals to the good. And 
And, you know, that's probably what we've been saying with Chelsea all year is if they'd taken their chances and were one or two to the good, that this game could have been so much different. But that's what they've struggled with all season is is not taking these opportunities. There was a couple of really good chances for Raheem Sterling, who played up front next to Jao Felix in this game. And he's just not, and he never has been that, that lethal finisher. He, you know, his time at City, he wasn't necessarily the world's greatest goal scorer and, and in his younger days with Liverpool in that that season that everyone remembers, the Gerard Slip season, Sterling only scored six goals in a season that he was supposedly the the best goal scoring winger going. So I just yeah, I, I was surprised to see Sterling start up front with Felix in this game. I felt like it left Jao Felix a little bit isolated given the way that Chelsea played. No, I think that's a good point. It makes you wonder why Kai didn't start in that shadow striker role or in the this this is the problem. I'm not even sure how they've lined up with those two strikers. Like, what's the idea? You've got two fairly diminutive guys who possess, you know, Jaffe Lex is a, a better player, but they possess the same kind of skill set uh, more generally. And you, I just, it, it, I've, I've just struggled all season to figure out what exactly Chelsea are going out to do. And they lined up again in this game, not, you know, with a serious foil to what Real Madrid can uh present nor are they like a good enough 11 on their own to just go out and overwhelm an opposition so well they've they've gone into this game in a in a 3-5-2 and and they were you know more of a 5-3-2 and really solidly set up behind the ball ready to to absorb pressure and just seemingly play that long ball over the top to Sterling and Felix which they did but I just wonder if you're going for pure pace up front and you have you know the fastest player in Europe who you played paid a hundred million pounds for and he's sitting on your bench and he supposedly loves a championship a champions league goal and he's the the best Ukrainian player we've seen in England and it doesn't even where get the, on. where the fuck is he? <laughs> they were yeah. they were saving him for Brighton at the weekend. Oh we will touch on that, don't you worry. Um all right uh are Chelsea a sniff at all at home though? Is that a bit can they take any sort of positives there? I don't think so. I just, I, I wonder how a team that all season has set up so negatively goes into a game now starting two goals behind. They, they have to go into this game and chase goals and be on the front foot, which is not something that they've done all season. And I just think, you know, with guys like Rodrigo and, and Vinicius and Vinicius in the form that he is, he's one of the best players in the world right now. I just... I honestly think Real Madrid could absolutely tear them apart if Chelsea do come out and, and attempt to play on the front foot like they're going to have to. Oh, yeah. I'll just say, how did Chelsea go at home on the weekend? Yeah, I can't see a um, an Ancelotti team getting done like this. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if we saw a nil-nil in that game tomorrow. Um, moving on, I will have a quick look around Europe at the other leagues. Bundesliga was heating up, uh, has been heating up for weeks now. And Bayern Munich dropped points again, a one-all draw at home to Hoffenheim. Andre Kramaric, the Swede, uh, Croatian, sorry, scored a absolute cracking free kick to level this one. Uh, Bayern scored with 15, 20 to go, and it was uh, disallowed by VAR. Um, Dortmund, though, I remember putting this in the group chat to you guys on the weekend. I watched this game. And if there's ever a performance that sums up a team's entire decade, it is this one by Borussia Dortmund. Uh, they just can't overcome some of these mental 
hurdles and blocks that they get when the fight is on, when the chance is there to take. They didn't know that Bayern were dropping points at this point. The games were played at the same time. Um, but still, they found themselves 2-0 up inside half an hour, just over half an hour played. 2-0 up, goals to Hello and Marlon. And then uh, former Arsenal defender, he might be on loan from Arsenal, actually, Mavropanos, got himself sent off with a second yellow. This is at the 39th minute, so it's 2-0 against 10 men. Um, second half, uh, they get it back. Stuttgart get it back to 2 all. Um, but don't worry about it. Gio Reyna pops up in the 93rd minute. 93rd minute, Dortmund go 3-2 up against 10 men. And still they manage to draw the game 3 all after conceding a 97th minute goal. Um, it's really kind of unforgivable stuff. The drop points wouldn't have, like the win wouldn't have put them top, but it would have put them level on points with Bayern just to keep that pressure on. And a Bayern side that are looking pretty rattled at the moment and pretty shaky, but I think it's looking like the situation we said all along in leagues like this is no matter how shaky Bayern look or if you're talking about France, PSG, there still is no other team that can be consistent enough to beat them. Yeah, it's not even that Bayern will always find a way. It's that the the, the chasing pack will always find a way to shoot themselves in the foot. Yeah. And this is such a demoralizing result. And you, really like was. you said, Bayern, they're so distracted right now. They're getting belted in the Champions League. They're rocky in, you know, the Bundesliga. And the, I mean, what was the state of the 97th minute equalizer? Uh, poor. Yeah. It's poor. That's all I can say. They do have injuries at the moment. They're two probably first choice center backs. Slotterbeck and Nicholas Sula are out. But that means Mats Hummels and Emre Chan are playing at center back and they're by no means um, no inexperienced slouches. or slouches, you know. Um, I don't know. It's just not happening it's- for them. Not his natural position, though, is at Emery Chan. Like, you'd prefer to see him further forward in midfield. He's, but He's played plenty of football there, though, and he's okay. played a lot in a back three in his time at Dortmund as a centre-back. So, But maybe, you know, that maybe that there's a reason why he shouldn't be. So, What, what fascinates me so much with Dortmund's inconsistency is just their inability to find a point in a game where they're not at their best. Like... This result on the weekend is their third draw of the season from 28 games, and they actually, in second spot, have more wins than Bayern do. Dortmund have 18 wins for the season, Bayern 17. But Dortmund have also lost seven games. And I just yeah, I, I can't understand the fluctuation between win-loss, 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 when Bayern are going win-win. If they drop points, it's you know eight draws and three losses for Bayern there. It's the real, a real case of the best teams, you know, they find a way on their bad days. This is a thing that's been like, Dortmund have been like this for the last decade, like I said. Like, their best is incredible and so good to watch. And then they just leak so many goals that are really like, when you watch them as well, you're like, that is so avoidable. That was avoidable. That was so avoidable. And teams that win titles don't do that. And so um, it's hard to go past Bayern still getting over the line and this one in the league. Um, Looking at other leagues, what have we got? Where have we got? I've lost my page here. Um. PSG, we mentioned last time they played uh, Lons. Lons were really pushing right up there in second spot. Looked like they were going to maybe take it to them for a while. They knocked off PSG and we said we'd check in next time they played them. Uh, They did. They played on the weekend. PSG beat them. That's all we'll say about that because if Lons won, we would have started the show with a laugh, wouldn't we? It's the usual go-to. Yeah, I didn't even know that they won, so 
outside of that. Good. Yeah. Well, why not? Why not? PSG? No one cares. Uh, Italy, <laughs> Napoli on the verge of wrapping up the league, but they're just going to wait a tad longer. They were held to a nil or draw by Hellas Verona. They're just stumbling just a little, but they've got the wriggle room to, to stumble. It's fine. I think they've definitely got their eyes on the Champions League at the moment and fixing that up against Milan. Milan put out an absolute dog shit 11 against Bologna. So I don't know if they have eyes on that Champions League as well, even though they're battling to hold on to a Champions League spot. I don't, maybe they're just throwing all their eggs in the basket of winning. The only injury they had was uh, Simon Kier and Ibrahimovic, who's barely played this season. But the team they put out, um, Cabbage, and they failed to... They failed to win. They drew one all in the end. They conceded 30 seconds in, which kind of justified my predictions at the start. But uh, Inter also lost to Monza. So just a disaster all round. If you were betting on any of the, the top teams in Italy, it was a disaster. So that's that. The team that's unless, really... <laughs> unless you like a roughy, Sammy. <laughs> yeah. The team that's really benefiting from all of this is Lazio because all of a sudden they're like... Mm. Uh, they're, they're five points clear in second now. Um, and so it looks like they're gonna be they're gonna be playing some Champions League football. There's still still what eight games to go. They're not gonna catch Napoli, but they'll be pretty confident they can stay ahead of uh, Roma, Milan, and Inter at the moment. So um, Juventus nine points out of the four with eight games to play after a fifteen point deduction. We're mm-hmm. not gonna we're not gonna let them do it, are we? We're not actually gonna let them uh, do it. I feel like some of these teams at the moment might let them. Might let them They're do distracted. It. That's the thing. Yeah. They've got other concerns right now. Juve got nothing. The same thing with Lazio. Like, I think, yeah, they're just they're just so up and down. These other teams, Milan and Inter, cannot string a good bunch of games together in a row. Roma have kind of got it a little bit more sorted. It's probably Mourinho factor where they just they're grinding out more results um, without necessarily playing better. And Lazio have just Lazio do have the talent there. They just. For whatever reason, they never get it to completely click for a season. But this is the most consistent they've been in a long time. So um, they're well deserving of their second spot at the moment. Yep. It's still all to watch in the, in uh, Italy, isn't it? Even yeah. though Napoli's wrapped it up, they're, you know, the the swings and roundabouts of, of the, the changing teams in the top two to five are, is really intriguing. Well, that's why I find it so intriguing that the, the team Milan put out on the weekend... I know they've got this Champions League tie against Napoli going on, but it's like they're 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 backing in. They're going all out to try and win the Champions League. They must think they can win it. Balls I mean, to they're the a cha- move. Champions League team, Sammy. That's what they're club. relying upon. Champions League, yeah, club. Champions League club. Exactly. Yeah, this group has, of players historically. Mm. Yeah, well, maybe mm. they'll become legends. They've got the Belgian Alex Awobi on right on the right wing. It's weird. Um, let's I mean, they get could into be, they could beat Inter in the semis, couldn't they? Yeah, and they then could. what? You get the raffle of the final. Let's Maybe get into plan. the English Premier League now. Uh, we'll start with the first game. The Barclays, the Sam. The Barclays. Barclays. Let's get into the old Barclays. Aston Villa, Newcastle. Oh, man. I think uh, I put something in the group chat uh, probably halfway through this one about I just wrote Villa are good. They just literally are good. And Unai Emery is a really good manager. And they are. Yeah. We, we talked about him a fair bit last week and then booming along, but. It was worth another mention this week because, you know, Newcastle was a big game, and they've they've absolutely brushed them aside three three nil. There was one disallowed for offside as well by a offside by a kneecap. Ollie Watkins. 
there's so many things to pick out of this game because Villa are now up into sixth and they are playing against uh, potential Champions League opposition in Newcastle. And all it can make me wonder is, like, is Unai Emery the best signing of any player manager this season? Like, this effect that he's had on Villa is larger than Haaland's signing for City, I think. I think he is the best signing that we've seen in the Premier League this season. Oh, huge. Well, that, they were, what, 16th when he came on board and yeah. they were they were in the muck. They yeah. were below Leeds, for fuck's they're, sake. They're pushing Europe now. They should get Europe, judging by this form. I mean, they look untouchable. Watkins is prime Rashford now. Mm. Consider that. Whatever that is. Probably on the money, 14 goals for the season. Probably is prime Rashford, isn't it? <laughs> That's about where he's at, isn't it? <laughs> My question is, what is prime Rashford? But uh, Cooper, any thoughts? Villa, Newcastle? Yeah, nah. Um, either, yeah, on either of them? Villa are good. Um, worrying for Newcastle, it's probably the first time all season we've really seen them defensively torn apart by by mm. another outfit. And I, I didn't yeah. necessarily think that it was going to be Aston Villa if it happened. Um, yeah, but here we are. Uh, both pushing pushing Europe and I think um you know Emery fantastic. I think Eddie Howe will be very stiff to to not win manager of the year though. Nah, he's been Ooh. he's been usurped right now. The job that Emery has done, and then this is such vindication of the man's tactics and the way that he assembles a team and it, it always addresses the weak point of the opposition, and he's done it so well. The way that they squeeze between the lines to not allow Newcastle to be as like organized and stoic as they are at the back. They forced the ball out left so that Dan Byrne was the guy that was constantly under pressure. And then the way they exploited the gaps with their forward line, like Ollie Watkins is a he's a great footballer, isn't he? And when he's given the freedom and the support to show his ability, like we're seeing the results. Is it only we'll have this chat now? Is it only Howe and Emery in the debate? Well, you're going to uh, – look, you'll probably say should, Arteta is a really good should, shout too. Well, if Arsenal were to win the league, well, even if they Arteta finish second, be, Do you think if they finish second, Arteta is a shout? Yeah, definitely. I think he should be. I don't think he is. I think we're at a point now where the Arsenal expectation bar was raised so high, so high by the midpoint of the season that they're now going to finish below where the expectation seems to be. Whereas if you told an Arsenal supporter the pre-season at the start of the season that they were going to finish second, they would have you know taken it a million times out of a million yeah. times. So mm. but it's an interesting they've, one. They've always said that top four was the goal this season. So anything above that has exceeded the, the team's expectation, right? Yeah, I guess so. We'll talk about them later, but um, I think I, just finishing off on that, they like... It's one of those, I, I was thinking about it today, given the result. I think we're going to go through that thing where everyone, we're going to have to put up with everyone laughing about Arsenal choking. And then a little while after that, people will talk about what a good job Arteta's done this season, regardless of what happens in these closing few weeks. Um, we'll get to that game later, though. Uh, we'll stick to going in order. Uh, Chelsea at home to Brighton. I don't <laughs> know if you want to talk about this game. All I've got here is uh, Matoma, Gunn, and I just wrote LOL again for the result. It's a big old fucking lull, isn't it? Brighton mm. absolutely spanked this Chelsea team. Yeah. And it's like, it's the best irony that all of a sudden it seems Chelsea are trying to emulate Brighton. And like, when would you, <laughs> this is supposedly the biggest club in England in the 21st century. 
and And somehow they're now emulating this tiny seaside town. It's it's brilliant. Potter is somehow not involved at all in this fixture. Crazy. How? You wouldn't have imagined that. The Brighton manager from the start of the year, not involved in this win over Chelsea because he moved to Chelsea and got sacked. Um, Yeah, I think that'll do. We've talked enough about Chelsea this year or in the last few weeks, definitely, but... Just want to throw out one wild Go prediction. On. They are only going to win one more game for the rest of the season. Wow. Okay. Look, I put I put them in my multi this week. They were two or six. We had, we had this chat. Yeah. I don't like talking about gambling too much on here, but um, I had them in the multi, and I just thought every week I keep falling into this like they're due to win at home. Like they are. Look at these players; they're due. Um, and they don't. I said that last week as well, and they didn't. So. We'll just we'll, we'll try again next week. Maybe I'll just keep putting Chelsea in and I'll keep losing. Uh, Everton lost to Fulham 3-1. I don't know if any of you saw this one, but uh, ridiculously poor from Everton, this performance at home. Uh, Neil Mopay is one of the biggest duds to ever play in this league. Uh, an absolute disgrace of a footballer. That's all I got for that. Uh, Southampton lost to Palace 2-0, and it was worth noting that Ize scored a nice double. And Palace... Uh, we laughed about it and we joked about getting rid of Patrick Vieira, but um, all of a sudden they've snagged a few points and they're looking, they're well clear now and they're pretty safe. Oh, they're, they're humming. They're fine. Yeah. It's it's such a weird, I mean, it, it was only like no... three, four weeks ago, you put them in the danger pile. Yeah, they were. They were in the danger pile when I put them yeah. in there. Um, the, I, yeah, it just, it staggers me that the sacking of Vieira, which took away all of the you know, all of the philosophy, I suppose, of football. This is what it's its come back to bite like the purists in the game on the arse because you bring in Roy Hodgson, who is basically told the front four to just run at, at defenders. Mm. And just, just see what happens, see what happens. And you know what happens? They score goals because they're good individual footballers. So, <laughs> Yeah, Eze has been good to watch this season. Every time I've watched a Palace game, he's been one of the, one of the highlights. Um We've said it before, this this Palace squad just not overall very good at all. But uh, he is one of those individuals that can do things like this. And his second goal in particular was was glorious. Um, Wolves beat Brentford 2-0. I think this is these two clubs are at the point of the year where no one's really going to take much notice of anything they do unless they string three or four together, uh, both yeah. just kind of floating around the middle there, doing their thing. Um, that's, Brentford's no, on the beach. Wolves are safe now. Yeah. No disrespect to him. I love Arvin Tony, but this is a... These two have run their course for the season. Now it brings us to Spurs and Bournemouth. Oh my God, um, Bournemouth maybe feel a little uh, justified after their, well, justified isn't the word, vindicated after their performance at the Emirates, and then getting done with the late goal. This time they go to Spurs and they get the late goal themselves to win it. Um, it was absolute scenes. Bedlam in the away end. Yeah, they conceded the late goal to throw it away again in this game and then and then managed to get an extra one themselves. Um, Dan Juma scored a fantastic goal off the bench for Spurs. And I honestly, you know, I was watching the game live and, and once he put that in, there was seven minutes of stoppage time, three minutes of normal time left. I thought, you know, Spurs are going to win this. They were just absolutely all over them. Mm-hmm. Um, and Richarlison came on fairly late in this game. Um, 77th minute Richarlison came on. So, you know, 15, 20 minutes of football, and and he really he really changed the game. He Harry Kane dropped into the ten, and Richarlison went up front by himself, and he gave them something that almost was like an injection of pace and energy that they've been begging for for the last seventy minutes that 
your favourite tap-in merchant, Harry Kane, hadn't been giving them. Um, Did I ever call him a tap-in merchant? It sounds like a thing you would say. He's a pen merchant, but he's a very good striker from other areas. Um, oh, don't I, don't go back on your word now, Sammy. Come I'm on. not. I still don't like the guy. I just I think it's worth noting that Richarlison again netted the ball for Spurs this time, and <laughs> it was again ruled out for offside. And he is still chasing his first league goal for Spurs. And the I can't remember who it was on comms noted that this is his now sixth disallowed goal of the season in the Premier League for Tottenham, and he's still yet to to debutise on the score sheet for Spurs. So it's just it's it's getting away from him. That um, is hilarious. At least yeah. the, he didn't rip his shirt off this time and get booked for a not allowed for a disallowed no, goal. No, he didn't. He, he was a bit more reserved this time. I think he's he's getting a bit nervous about it. He's almost almost looking over at the linesman every single time. He's um, seen the Karim Bullet uh, YouTube video and he's like, nah, no more, no more. Yeah, no. But Bournemouth were they were really good in a sense of there was a few times in the game where they lost momentum and it looked like Spurs were going to score and. And they just seemed to like not crumble into their shell. They just picked themselves back up again and they found something. And and the same happened again when, you know, like I said, Dan Juma scored the equalizer and and I thought Spurs will just run over the top of them here. But they stayed alive, got a nice counter-attack, and um Dango Watara, first goal for Bournemouth, put them in front three two, and yeah, scenes in the away end, as you said. Yeah, I was gonna mention that. Um you talked about Richarlison still waiting for his first, but there was a few firsts this weekend. The winner in the the Brighton game with and CISO, I don't know if I've said that correctly. That was his first Premier League goal mm, and an absolute belter. Yeah. And then this one, uh, Dango Utara, who is a, uh, a Burkinabe professional footballer. Does it, do you guys know what country that is? That's not a country. <laughs> what nationality that is? Burkinese. Burkina Faso. He's from Burkina Faso. Dango Utara. Um, Beautifully taken goal, and just I love watching goals like that. Um, when you see the away fans just going absolutely ballistic, it's always more fun when it's against Tottenham as well, isn't it? Of course. Um, how did you how did you rate Davidson uh, Sanchez's performance? Uh, as he subbed on, jeered as he leaves the field. What okay. twenty minutes later? I was going to mention in the build up to that Spurs goal, but I I didn't know the name of the defender. I can't remember who Solanke wins it off of in the air. Just Sanchez. Was it Sanchez? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, super easy for Solanke there and just disgracefully bad from Sanchez to be yeah. defending like that in that situation at 2-all at that stage of the game was just a straight up disgraceful and you should not be you should not be in a team that is sitting, what, fifth in the Premier League playing like he, that. You just can't do he it. Ma- he makes an error for the um, second goal as well. So it's it's just one of the classically bad substitutions that you will see in the Barclays era. Yeah. All um, right. I mean, Loris came out post-game in defense of him, but Jesus, it's hard to defend that kind of performance, isn't it? Well, it they, they called him out. They they called out the Spurs coaching staff on the broadcast here because obviously he's made the mistake for the for the second goal and, and Solanke's put, put Bournemouth in front. And from then on in, he's being booed. Um, where am I? Still yeah, going. from from then on in, he's being booed. Yeah, sorry. Um, and they've, you know, he's come on bad substitution, and then he's been. Um, am I right in saying he was dragged again later in the game? He yeah, he got subbed again. He got subbed again. So he'd been subbed on, made a mistake for the second goal, been booed for twenty minutes, and then been dragged again. 
Um, and the Spurs coaching staff were ripped for it because it, it just it was called an easy out by the media, as in they really felt like, you know, he made the mistake for the second goal, but for the rest of the game, then on in, he hadn't really been that bad. You know, it's, it's one error, and it was clearly getting to him that he was being booed by the fans, but he wasn't really given an opportunity to overcome it. They just sort of went, nah, let's let's move on from this. Um, I mean, it worked out in the end. They brought Dan Juma on for him, went more attacking, and he scored the equaliser. But, yeah, it seemed, I don't know, it seemed fairly rough to just, once he's getting booed, to then bring him off again. Real scapegoat mentality. Mm. I mean, how damaging is it to a player to get brought on and then subbed off? Because it happens not all the time, but, you know, we see it enough. We see it in the A-League occasionally as well. well. I think I think we see it more often here with younger players, say there's an injury early or, or something like that, and we bring a younger guy on. And then later in the game, you're chasing a goal or defending a goal, and they're usually brought off again at the expense of a more experienced player. But for for it to happen to a real senior guy in Tottenham's side is is something we haven't really seen. Yeah, so it wasn't it wasn't um, Sanchez who was defending that ball against Solanke that Solanke then because that was no not the third goal he made the error nah. for the second yeah not the third yeah goal. for the second goal yeah all right um, we'll move it on the next two games I think we'll just talk about right next to each other because uh, in the context of the title just massive things happening. Man City just turning the screws like we said they would. Everyone kind of predicted it, but they're in that phase now, aren't they? You said it last week, Tommy, where they're in it. They're in that mode where they just go and they win and they win and they win. Holland scored another two. John Stone scored in this one as well. A 3-0, uh, 3-1 win over Leicester, who are, well, they, they are in serious strife. And then um, hours later, the that evening, Arsenal... Drop points at West Ham after being 2-0 up the second week in a row. 2-0 up and only getting a draw out of the game. And they really, this one especially, feels like a loss. Oh, yeah. I mean, bounce back to City real quick. Go on. Um, KDB. Well, let's we'll go John Stones first because like you mentioned he scored. That's a terrific goal for centre-back. And we gassed mm. him up a couple of weeks ago. And he's um, he's had some season. And it looks like he's now established himself as like one of the top five centre-backs in the Barclays, yep. I think. The Barclays? Um, in the Barclays. But on top of that, um, I read a stat, KDB notched up his uh, 15th assist for the season. That's the fourth time he's done that in his career in the top div. Um, apparently, there's only ever one other player to have done it more than once. Say it again. So KDB notched up his 15th assist for the season. He's done it four times now. Right. Four different seasons, he's got 15 assists. Now, apparently, I didn't go too deep into this. I just took it off what the page said. There's only been one other guy to do it more than once. Hmm. Who is that guy? It wasn't Ozil. It's not Ozil, but you're, you're, you know, you're on the path. Is it Fabregas? It's Fabregas. Hmm. You got that quick. Yeah, That's it makes good sense. I was, yeah. Fabregas an assist king, and yeah, obviously definitely. he had multiple spells in the Premier League, so that made sense. I couldn't remember if Ozil had a couple of real big seasons in a row or not, but it just—it feels like there should be more. It does creative it? midfielders that have multiple fifteen plus assist seasons. It's I yeah, guess. that kind of boggled my mind. They spoke about the sorry, Sammy. They spoke about the go. record a couple of years back. Um, with how there was no other creative midfielder that had really done it and and gone near Fabregas to do it twice. Um. 
And then Alexander Arnold just missed out. He went 15 and 13 in back-to-back oh, seasons. Right. And they were really, really on how weird it is that whether it's a change in football or how we haven't seen a 10 have back-to-back 15 assist seasons and then all of a sudden a fullback's done it. Um, but it's nice to see an out-and-out, an out and out, you know, a 10 that can just create for his teammates. And it's interesting with with De Bruyne now, um, he spent a lot of a lot of his last season playing as, as a false nine. So he just seems to really have that knack of just, I don't know if it's whether you know that instinct of knowing where your teammates are going to be or whether that that City team is so good that it's not about knowing where your teammates are going to be. There's an expectation that they will be in that right spot. But, yeah, it seems to just be those guys in really good teams that manage to do it. That's It's interesting you say that because I saw that Trent got his 50th assist for Liverpool and that only puts him two behind uh, Bobby Firmino. And that made me think the same thing. Okay, yeah, he's employed primarily as a false nine. Um, but surely in that position, you are more likely to set up a teammate for a goal than any other position in the field. So for KDB to do this for four seasons, he's what what a marvel, man. Is he going to be one of those guys that we look back in five, 10 years and be like, shit, he was actually that good? You have to. It should be already if you're not, really. He- it doesn't he doesn't get the hype though, does he? So much he seems like one of those almost like Salah now. He's almost transitioned to one of those guys that you just expect it from him. And so when Saka and Martinelli have a good season, everyone's that. That's where the hype train goes. Rashford scores a couple of goals, and that's where the hype train goes. But I KDB you, consistently. If you look, I've seen a little bit of talk about it previously, but solidly in my eyes, if you sat down and put together your greatest Premier League era 11 of all time, Kevin De Bruyne would have to be in it. Right? I agree. I think I agree. There's better players that I enjoyed watching in his position, but you would probably have to put him on your output alone. Yeah. I just, um, at the moment, I'm just real sick of City Football Group. (laughs) They can get fucked. It's a big weekend for CFG, hasn't it? (laughs) Hasn't it? Um, I don't know how New York's going, but who cares? Um, (laughs) Who's the Fuck. I don't know if either of you have anything on Arsenal West Ham. Just, I guess, I just don't understand. Just you were so as, good. The first 10 Tony, minutes. Man. But the first yeah. 10, 15 minutes, they're untouchable. I not. I don't reckon I've seen a better, it's so stupid to say, but I don't think I've seen a better 15-minute performance by a team all season. Like, I couldn't believe what I was watching. So easily torn apart West Ham by Arsenal in that, in that period. Yeah. Big opening and then just concede just the stupidest goals. Like Thomas Party dawdles on the ball and then tries to do some stupid flick with the outside of his foot and loses it. And then the guy who's won it off him charges into the box. Gabriel slides in like a maniac. Um, penalty, that's 2-1. And then the second goal is just like just silly, ill-disciplined, lazy things like it's, they get a bit of luck there, West Ham. The ball comes out and he just kind of hoofs it back into the box and Bowen's there. But it comes from Ben White and it's Rob Holding on the other side aren't squeezing out. They're just kind of dawdling up out of the box. So they keep him on side. Um, had they gotten up with Gabriel and with Tierney um, or Xhaka, whoever was there, probably Xhaka as well, he's offside and it doesn't happen. And even moments before that goal, Saka has the penalty to chance to put the game away and I've got this weird fucking, it's going to sound like a stupid amateur league gripe, but when we watch, when you watch professional footballers, you know, when they go to take corners and free kicks and penalties, they do this thing now where they count how many steps back they take. 
but then their run up has nothing to do with those steps, does it? Like it's, it's the just opposite a, of a fast bowler. It's just the brain. You know where you're like when you run up to kick a ball, your brain like you just it's coordination, isn't it? It's hand eye coordination or foot eye coordination in this case, and mm-hmm. you just judge your run up and take it in stride and kick the ball. We see these guys measuring their foot. I don't, is, is that just some stupid thing they do for the cameras? Like, because they think, oh, I'm a professional footballer. I'm meant to do this. And then you step I up just... and put the penalty wide. How hard is it to put the fucking thing in the net? It's a penalty. It's 36 feet. Fuck. Yeah, on that front, I just think from like a professional footballer standpoint, it's about trying to trying to do the same, emulate the exact same thing every single time you do something to ensure the same result. Um but like I said, surely uh, there's this big hatred for penalties when a keeper makes a save and people are going, that's one of the worst penalties I've seen. It's it's not in a corner and it's at a great height for the goalkeeper. Mm. Surely you'd rather miss a penalty like that than Bring it wide. by just pick a, picking a side and, and semi-hoping that you can beat a keeper with, with power or he goes the wrong way or whatever than just missing the goal completely and giving yourself no chance. Yeah, mm. uh, that's why I was always a two-step guy. I'm confused as to why Sacco is even taking this. Like, Same. Wanted to ask you that. It's it shouldn't. It's not. Ex- I don't know. Like he he missed one in the Euros pretty poorly. <laughs> He's missed this one I now. Didn't think you were going to bring that up. <laughs> I can't recall him even really scoring many pens. Gabby Azus came back in the team, scored one last week. Or was it the week before? Either way, mm. um, you know we've got other players there. I don't, I don't really understand. I don't really get it. Um, but even still, like that's not to take anything away from Saka. There, he's got to score a penalty. You just need to score in these moments, and then you can't go up the other end and concede. Like it's, I'm I'm feeling super harsh on Saka this week, but really I'm angry at the whole team just for their, their stupidity here. And it also feels like they also go into their shell. That's two weeks in a row. I can't remember who the pundit was. Um, on, I don't know if it's on our, on our coverage or UK the UK coverage that said that's two weeks in a row, 2-0 up. They need to just go in search of the third goal. And it honestly does look like Arsenal stopped going in search of goals at 2-0 up. And you just can't because you'll let teams back in. I just... So, I just wonder if I can make a point in relation to that. Um, a few weeks back, Sammy, you asked Tom and I, if you were in a title race, 10 games to go, would you rather play before the team that you're in the race with or after them? And we sort of made a, a decision that we all agreed we'd rather play before. You know, Absolutely. Just, just know what you have to go and do. Yeah. Um, this is back-to-back weeks that Arsenal have played after City have gotten a result and put the pressure on them and they've gone 2-0 up and almost seemingly put pressure on themselves to ensure that they hold on for a result rather than just playing this fantastic attacking football we've seen them do all season. Um, I saw a statistic on Twitter yesterday in relation to that, that in 31 games Arsenal have played now, this is only the 11th time they've played after City have played. And the first time they've played back-to-back games after City have played, yeah, there were there were conspiracies being twirled around online because there was a couple of change fixtures and the postponements have allowed the like maneuvering of uh, fix of you know yeah. games on Look, Saturday it's and still, Sunday. It's still you just need to go out and win the games, and they've been in the position to win both of them. Um, Liverpool at Anfield are much tougher ask than 
West Ham away, I think, but nonetheless, two it's a up, big, it's a big mentality. It's a big mentality thing, though, because you know that obviously is, is going to play into people's minds. I think you can. I think mentality is such a huge part of professional sport everywhere. I mean, you see, I think the most basic example is in the AFL is lining up for a set shot. It seems like the easiest thing to do in the world. And yet when you do let those kind of negative thoughts eke into your mind, you're going to, you know, you're going to throw out a poor outcome. And that's the same thing. If you don't, if you are trying to protect a two-nil lead because you know you need three points, that is going to, you know, disadvantage you in going forward any further. You had the opportunity to go 2-1. And then you let the home side, the the home crowd get back into the game because like a saved penalty or a missed penalty at 2-1 is as big as a goal. And then, mm. yeah, it's it didn't really surprise me that a few minutes later they equalised. Yeah, I think it, it's also related to, also in relation to, to Arsenal being a very young side. Um, and I just don't really know if there's a pure leader on, on the park. And in, in any football side you've played in from the bottom of the amateur levels all the way to the top in over the years, there's always been that guy in a team that's able to just just grab the attention of everyone out there and just go, you know, like just just take a fucking breather for a second. And I just wonder, you know, Martin Erdegaard, 24-year-old Premier League captain, whether there is there is a pure leader on the pitch or not. I know you've got your, your Granite Jackers and your like, but there's history there with his leadership at Arsenal. And outside of that, it's a very, very young side. Um, and I know it was late against West Ham, but I did note too that, that Erdegaard came off in both of these games. And I just wonder, you know, where you're, where, you're, where you're holding on for points in these games or whether you're trying to get a win. It just seems weird to me that, a, that your captain is a guy who consistently doesn't play out 90 minutes. The one thing I really notice if we go back to Adelaide is that we often speak about how Craig Goodwin plays 90 minutes, like without doubt, every single week. There's no time where he comes off the pitch because even if he's gassed or not playing well, the other players just feed off him. And I don't really know if Arsenal will have that presence. Yeah, I think... Um, it's still a pretty raw squad. You know, they've still got a long way to go in their maturity and their learning. So, um, you know, we're asking a lot of them at this time. Erdegaard on that, he has played so many minutes this year. And um, in the Liverpool game, yeah, he came off a bit earlier. In this game, he came off in stoppage time for a striker. So that kind of makes sense. Just to, you know, he was kind of getting on the ball deep and trying to start things. So they took him off for a striker which kind of makes sense. I'll allow that. Um, my last thing before I move on from that is <laughs> one, another gripe. Um, this is this is a general football thing, so I'm not just saying it because it was in the Arsenal game, but there was a period in stoppage time I noticed where Fabianski grabbed the ball in goals and I counted 25 seconds till he kicked it. It's a and long time. I don't care that, you know, I don't give a fuck about that because it's in the Arsenal game. I just think it ruins football. And referees need to be way more on top of this shit. Like 25 seconds with it in his hand. I'm not saying we should have got a free kick, but the referee should have just hurried him up. Mm. Like just it hurry really up. adds credence to like the stop clock theory yeah. now for where football should go. 25 seconds. Like that's a disgrace. Um, yeah. The other Book thing him. is, even if you took Arsenal out of this title race, I'm just so sick of City and I'd love to see someone else win. Fucking storm my head in. I'm sick of them. Fuck City. All right. I don't know if we have any city listeners, but neither you know, do I. They will enjoy hearing that because they love it because they they were shit for decades and now they win everything. Um, last two games quickly. United beat Forest 2-0. I don't know if we need to say much about this. 
Uh, Forest just crumbling a bit, moving lower in the table. United were fairly comfortable in this game. Forest probably could have had a penalty, but nothing too too outrageous in this one. Manchester United unbeaten in 17 games, of which Ericsson, Casemiro, and Bruno have started together. Yep. Makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, that does yeah. make sense. Three very good footballers and very yeah pivotal to this side winning games. Let's quickly finish with this one. This the Monday morning game and another night shift derby. Is that three weeks in a row? All our teams have played each other. I think so. This is the last Unreal. of them. Quickly. Um, Liverpool six leads one. Where do we start with this one, Cooper? I'll go to you first. No, I reckon we'll we'll palm to Tommy because he All reckons right, we'll go the, to Tommy first. He reckons the most important moment of the game um, came before all seven goals. So we'll go there. Look, I just I just want to from the out. Can we sack Marsh again? Can, can we just we need the new manager bounce? That's what we're <laughs> lacking right now. Sack the sack guy. Can we sack the guy that's not there anymore? Because I still feel like he's the issue. Mm. But in terms of this football game in particular, uh, you know, it was a tight, compact first half hour. Um, as Cooper has told me many a times today, we were playing for a nil-nil draw. Yes. Yes, we were. I'm not proud of it, nor am I happy with the fact. I would much prefer us go back two years, keep Bielsa, lose 7-0 to City, lose 6-0 to Liverpool, whoever the hell it was, but at least go out there and fucking try and do something. Because it is the most demeaning thing to watch a side play for a draw and then to ship six goals. Like this, you have nothing, you have nowhere to come back from that. Mm. At, at, the, at the start of this season, Leeds came to Anfield and attacked Liverpool and left with three points. I think you're forgetting in that game how many world-class saves Melia had to pull off in order for us to get that 90th minute winner. <laughs> I just... <laughs> Leeds but, weren't by any means the best side in that game. But you gave yourself... Were you lucky? Yes. But by coming yes. into a game and competing, you give yourself an opportunity to get lucky. By coming into a game, sitting back and conceding six goals, you could have all the luck in the universe and you'd still be fucked. Yeah, I I agree. You've shown this season that your strong point is scoring goals. It's far from stopping goals. No, we are now, we've conceded more goals than anyone this season now. And and that's it. And, And it's hard. I get it. It's hard as a relegation candidate that you feel like you need to go out there and defend every point. But fuck goal difference. Three points is better than than a 1-0 loss and, you know, helping your goal difference out when it's already so far in the bin. Just try and win games. Yeah. And I just I just don't understand it. And and you're unlucky to not have a penalty before the first goal. I'll, I'll give you that in full agreeance. It was a stonewall penalty. Bad mistake. But it doesn't excuse six goals. And for a half where, like you said, you probably had the better offer of it or Liverpool didn't have anything until the 35th minute, to hold a team for 35 minutes and go into the break 2-0 down. It's got to be demoralising. Imagine okay, going out to play for a 0-0 draw, playing well for 90% of a half, and then you go into the change rooms at halftime, you're 2-0 down and you feel like it's over. You don't come back from there. It's the same thing that happened against Arsenal where Leeds started very well and they had a good 20, 25 minutes and then like a stupid error concedes the penalty and all of a sudden the game's gone because like 
there's no there's no leaders in this team. Uh, it goes back to who we were talking about before. Oh, Arsenal. Arsenal. Where like when when shit gets when shit goes wrong, this side is gutless and they roll over and they and we saw with Palace last week and we've seen it again. You know, it's unfortunate Tyler Adams is injured. It's unfortunate Max Verber is injured. Patrick Bamford is injured again for whatever inexplicable inexplicable reason. Where you know the leaders in this squad are your Liam Coopers, your Luke Ailings, your Stuart Dallases, uh, who aren't good enough or perpetually injured to be able to fucking get on the field. And so we're in this shitty transition moment, and they've gone out and they've picked Yavi Gracia because they think this is the guy that can keep us up. But he employs this ridiculous defensive formation where we just do not do anything. And even though we had the better of the game, potentially, in the th- first half an hour, Liverpool still had 75% of the ball. And so what, what are we doing? We're doing nothing. We had one Rodrigo chance. Sinistero got in behind once and blazed wide. And so, yeah, you are. You're opening yourself up to be beaten. And that's what we're doing at the moment. And thank fuck there's four teams worse than us right now. <laughs> oh, borderline. Just. Um, i got a new take on Leeds. I've been pretty... Vocal in my displeasure of ailing, and um, I think you'll agree with this one, Tommy. Um, I've been pretty vocal about my dis- distaste for Luke ailing, and um, obviously, we all know you know, you can see six goals, you look at that back line, and you're pretty annoyed at them. My takeaway this morning, and it's probably been the case for a while now, but they get let off the hook, is the Leeds midfield, uh defensively offering absolutely nothing like the defense always I think we always look at the defense some of those goals we saw this morning there's defenders all over the place it's because they're trying to chase guys after there's absolutely zero pressure being put on the ball further up the field or if there is pressure being put on it it's not enough or it's it's very kind of one way so there was a few goals I noticed this morning and last week week before a ball gets in behind this defence and, you know, Rocker, Sinistera, Aronson, McKenney, uh, who came on for those guys today, for sure, Rutter. The ball's going in behind them and they just turn on the spot. They turn around and they look and then they start doing that jog backwards and their defence is left, like strokes just left there fucking kosh. They might as well be standing there with their dick in their hands. Just eating shit. Yeah, they're just eating shit. And they're made to look terrible. Stroik and Kosh are being made to look like horrible, horrible footballers. And they're not they're not world beaters, obviously. But they're not Well, they're both internationals. <laughs> they're both internationals. They're not as bad as the results are showing for Leeds. And I think a lot of it comes from midfield this year. They just have not had it. That midfield has been atrocious this season. McKenney was brought in to kind of alleviate some of that, but he's hardly the Kante type defensive oh, mate. Roman he's weighs... gonna sweep across in front of the back four. He's a forward... He weighs two Kantes. <laughs> he weighs How can he two. be? He's a he's very much a forward running midfielder. And so many of these guys, I just can't believe the lack of defensive effort that is on show most of these for most of these goals that you see Leeds concede every week. That's why when you when Leeds get these results, it always looks like the opposition are scoring them so easily. But anyway, that's my Leeds take for this week. Well, they have scored them easily. The last 12 shots on target out of 13 have gone in. And it just it illustrates how poorly we are controlling the midfield and how 
exposed yep. our defensive line is to attacks. And you know, let's let's not take away too much from Liverpool because Cooper no, and I no. were talking about this before. Um, the employment of Trent Alexander Arnold in that uh that fullback that drifts into midfield absolutely destroyed mm. Leeds. I was today. heading there next. Yeah. You got anything on that, Cooper? Or I was gonna I was gonna bring this, it up, but this, um, this seems like a Cooper Cooper corner. Yeah. I've been I've been really big in the defense of Trent in terms of the only reason is the only reason people are calling him as bad as he as they are calling him is because they're finally noticing. And the only reason they're noticing is because Liverpool are at a point where he is now required to be defensively accountable. And he's yeah. never been capable of doing that. It's never been something we did that last we did him. this last week. Yeah, and, and that's that's where we are. Like, you know, we get a game where we dominate a team like this, and anytime someone comes forward, Van Dyke or Canate, other than the one error that Canate had that led to the Sinistera goal, you know, anytime someone comes forward, they nullify it. Trent and Robbo get forward and, and Liverpool are dynamite. And we just spoke about, you know, 50 assists as a fullback is insanity. 50 assists for Liverpool was a fullback at 24 years of age. It's mental. And he's so good for us going forward that if we can get it together and it can click again, that, you know, he's going to be fantastic. And and I said in the group chat yesterday that if he'd played the last 24 months at right back for Man City, he'd still be called the best fullback in the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I want to... Um... Potentially. He's good. He's good. I want to take it in a little bit of a different direction, but still looking at the Trent Alexander-Arnold thing. We mentioned him racking up assists. We mentioned this inverted uh, fullback thing that obviously City have been doing. And this has been a... uh, Is this a... It's a bit of a gap in my knowledge here, but I remember seeing Guardiola teams do this for a long time. But is this a Guardiola kind of... Yeah, it's a, it's a Guardiolaism, and it's, it's a now, pep invention. Yeah, it's, it's a pep invention spreading yeah. through Mikel Arteta and Arnold yeah. did it Klopp's against copied Arsenal. It. Well, that's what happened. All that's happened is in the second half against Arsenal, we've gone in the rooms at, at halftime, and Klopp has just said to Trent, "We're going to mirror what Zinchenko is doing." Yeah, yeah. Um, I think he he had 124 completed passes in this game, Trent Alexander Arnold. I'm not. I don't, I'm pretty sure I read that right, and that's just fucking incredible. The dude is insane on the ball. Uh, what I wanted to get to though was just in the like, I know I had a whinge before about City, and uh, you know it's easy, and we all like we all like doing it. I love doing it where we sit back and talk shit about Guardiola about he's only been successful at these teams where he can spend all the money in the world, but. I think you do have to give him so much tactical credit for some of his innovations in football. And the reason I bring it up is because we've got this inverted fullback thing at the moment. Um, There were two others that I was thinking about that I thought I'd share. Um, His Bayern Munich team would often have two defenders back. And Manuel Neuer, the goalkeeper, is a deep-lying kind of sweeper, a deep sweeper. He's the goalkeeper. Um, and your fullbacks were pretty much up in winger positions. Your wingers are in the box. Your midfielders are all, everyone else is in the midfield. You have two defenders to deal with the one striker that the opposition are going to put out there. Um, and it's a system that was just, it seems so crazy and attacking, but it's really just built on possession in the opposition half and keeping the ball and recycling the ball. Something that we see City do, do so well at the moment, 
I don't think City go as extreme. I think Pep is wary of the quality of counter-attack you, in the Premier League, maybe. do it, yeah. Yeah, so he can't quite go the full just two defenders and maybe one midfielder, a few, maybe 10, 15 yards in front of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly he did that at Bayern Munich when they were dominating the the Bundesliga. Um, and it's just... That's a menta- it's a mentality thing as well, because like Absolutely, you said, yeah. you set up against Bayern and you think that you're not going to get anything out of the game. So you do play one up front and you hold. And it, so you can play two at the back. Yeah. And it's entirely built on um, trust, like just trust in teammates to be disciplined in their... Discipline in their positioning, discipline in their work on the ball. So that is, you know, we're not playing a 50-50 ball to a contest. We're we're keeping the ball at all costs, no matter what. So we're never really vulnerable until we decide we're going to try and score. And then everyone's already switched on and ready. The trigger point is as soon as the ball hits an opposition defender or something like that, you know, there's already two or three guys dropping back into shape defensively. Um so there was that one. The other one was when he was at Bayern Munich. I don't know if you've seen the clip. There's a clip about uh, of Thierry Henry talking about his time at... Uh, did I say Bayern again? I meant Barcelona. Mm. Um, talking about his time at Barcelona under Pep, where, again, it's just all about trust. And oh, I have seen this where he's released yeah, on the wide and stuff. Yeah, Players just holding their position. So Henry was playing as a left winger when he went to um, Barcelona. And... He his instruction was literally just to be on the touchline. And he said he kept coming across. He wanted to be involved in the play. He said, no, nah, you need to be there because that's how this system works. And it was entirely built on the trust of knowing what would happen when balls got in certain positions. So when the ball came to Xavi or the ball came to Iniesta and you were at a certain distance up the ground, so say you were on the edge of your attacking third, bang, you had free license to do what you wanted. And because you just had to trust the players around you were going to be ready to do the defensive job they needed to if it broke down. Um, and they also have the the trust in their teammates to be able to hit the passes, you know, to break a defense. And they just have so much. So it's built on, obviously, you need all that money to buy the quality players, to have the really good players to do what he does. But I still think some of these, um, I just find it really intriguing, some of these tactical the tactical innovations of Pep Guardiola. He's going to go down as one of the all-time great innovators of football. If not the all-time great, because for that exact reason, he's been given the license to innovate because you can only do it when you can. Because in one breath, it's easy to trust Xavi and Iniesta to do the job in midfield. But you know, in the next, you have to be able to employ a tactic that frees them up creatively, but at the same time constricts them in an organizational way that wins a football match. Yeah. And that's what this guy does. And he, yeah. you know, for me in the modern era, he's the best I've ever seen. And it's yeah. hard to compare throughout because obviously football changes, but you won't get anywhere near Pep Guardiola in the 21st century. Yeah. And this, like what we're seeing now with the inverted fullback, but still keeping the defensive solidity, um, you know, it's built on that. We lose the ball. It's a super hard press to make sure we get it back before they can counterattack. Um but it's Press just on so, heavy touch, Sam? Is, yeah. that, is that how you employ a Press on heavy touch. No, I don't do any of that on FIFA because the players get too tired too quick. Um, <laughs> but that's just, that's it leads me, to be, leads me to believe that, you know, Pep would be able to still do a good job with the POV team because I think he would be tactically good enough. He would find a way 
to he would play a system. It wouldn't be anywhere near as attacking, but he would play a system that suits them to their best. I think because he's just so. I don't know. He would he would find a way tactically. I think you you look at Pep and potentially Carlo Ancelotti, and you talk about how these guys have managed big club after big club after big club, and it's they're only successful because of it. But they're continually managing these big clubs because of how successful they are. How many managers do we see come through the doors of Premier League and top La Liga clubs every single year and and not see out a season? And that's because essentially it's because of their failure in that role. And if someone came into Chelsea and had five years of success, they'd then go on to manage another big club. And if they had five years of success there, they'd then go on to manage another big club. It's not Guardiola isn't getting kissed on the dick and being put in these positions for no reason. He's been successful everywhere he goes because he is ruthless. And that's yeah. what's that's what's given him the license to manage all these teams. It's it's kind of like that Formula One argument. People, I, I don't know how many of our listeners watch Formula One, but, you know, where you could talk about Lewis Hamilton only won because he had the best car, but you need to be close to, you know, you need to be in the top handful of drivers to get the best car. And it's similar with football management, I think, at the moment. You need to be, you know, if you're any good tactically, you're going to find a way for your poor team to get results anyway. So, Well, yeah. he made he made the decision to go to Mercedes, didn't he, Lewis? And that's kind of a similar a feat where if you can go to an environment that you think can, you can flourish in, yeah. well, then by all means. Yeah. Yeah. All I right. think you're, you're very much talking to LeBron James is in there of – was so brilliant for Cleveland when he first started out and then you know had to go to had to go to Miami to to win the titles and become the player player he did and eventually you know he turned around and and shut the mouth of all the critics by going back to Cleveland going back to a a small market weaker area and and proving to everyone that you know he is he is capable of doing it somewhere that people don't think he is which is why I cannot wait to see ha- uh, Harland shoot leads back into the Premier League in a few years <laughs> Well, you think he's going to play League One? Look, he'll do it. That that's a FIFA challenge if anyone's ever set one. Fuck me, so well that guy. I don't know if anyone's played with City on FIFA, but I played with Dortmund when <laughs> when Harlan was there, and he was a cheat code. You just press circle Absolutely. when he scores. <laughs> it was ridiculous. All right, might be a good place to stop it. We've gone on a while, and we started talking about other sports, a bit of Formula One and NBA. What the fuck's going on here? <laughs> that's how uh, it goes. But, yeah. There we go. Nice football, 109. Check it out. Uh, red edition. We're going to record a red edition, yeah, after that grim display on the weekend by Adelaide United. <laughs> is this is this us deciding that we're going to do it? Sure. Yeah, let's do sure. it. We'll do it. We'll have a quick chat, I guess. Uh, if it's no good, we'll just delete it and it won't be in your new, in your, <laughs> in your Spotify feeds. But you'll right? know that we tried. That's the main thing. <laughs> but you'll know that we tried. That's if you listen to this point, all right? <laughs> Enjoy your week, folks. Have fun. Keep getting around us on the socials. Share with your friends. Tell your mates. Get them onto the pod. Yep. Yep.